0: Hi, this is uh, Dr. Peter Ramirez, editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Gabriela Esquivardi, who is at the Department of Gynecology at the European Institute of Oncology in Milano, Italy, and the topic for this podcast is going to be based on a recent publication titled Practice Patterns and Complications of Hysterectomy. For invasive cervical cancer after the laparoscopic approach to cervical cancer lack trial. This publication was published in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and for full disclosure, I'm also a co-author on this publication. So, Gabriela, thank you so, so much uh, again for um, participating in this uh, podcast and accepting our invitation.
1: Thank you so much, Pedro, for the kind invitation. I'm really honored to the opportunity to share my work here. And first of all, I want for sure to thank all the team that participate in this project, and especially my mentors, Dr. Francesco Multinu, that had the brilliant idea to conduct this study, and Dr. Andrea Mariani, that made it possible.
0: Absolutely. Yes, Uh, an outstanding team uh, as well. Um, and, and, of course, I, I should say that you are a former fellow of the International Journal, uh, so we're really, again, so, so proud of you, and, uh, and I can't wait to speak to you about this uh, study. So, of course, I, I wanted to start by discussing uh, what was the rationale for doing this study, and if you could provide some context as it pertained to the literature prior to this study.
1: Yeah, okay. So the uh, publication of the LAC trial drastically changed cervical cancer surgical treatment, leading to a decrease in the minimally invasive approach and consequently increased the open abdominal approach. However, whereas this change brought a change in the complication rate was still unclear, as the previous data were limited and showed controversial results. And in particular, we identified four studies assessing the change in surgical approach following the LAC trial, all showing a considerable reduction in the use of minimally invasive approach, but with a variable extension of this reduction. Three among four of these studies were conducted in population of patients from the United States, while the last one was on an Italian population. Just two of these studies then analyzed uh, the change in the complication rate. And in the first one published in 2021 by Matsuo, was observed an increase in postoperative complication rate and length of stay following the LAC trial. While in a following study, the Italian one we could call like this by Bogani, the 90 day postoperative complication remained stable. So we decided to conduct this study to clarify the impact on the LAC trial, both on the surgical approach and on the complication rate.
0: Great, and, and Gabriela, for, uh, for this particular study, what did you design as the primary objective?
1: So the aims of this study were first one to analyze the change in the surgical approach for the treatment of invasive cervical cancer following the publication of the LAC trial results, and then to assess whether this change led to an increase in the 30-day postoperative complication rate.
0: Great. Um, before we get into uh, some additional uh, questions on the design, um, was wondering if you can uh, tell our audience, uh, what is the American College of Surgeons National Surgical Quality Improvement Program and why did you use this as a source of the data?
1: Sure, so the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program is a clinical and national registry established by the American College of Surgeons and it was designed to measure and improve the quality of surgical care based on the analysis of 30-day postoperative complications. Among the crucial aspects of this registry are that more than 700 medical center and community hospital in the US are part of this project and that the data are manually abstracted by trained data managers that undergo to regular training auditing at each participating center so we have decided to use this program as it was created specifically to study the 30 day postoperative complication And in addition, I have to say that that our team is quite familiar with this database, as it was used as the source of data for the manuscript by Kazarin, published in 2018, to study if the adoption of minimal invasive surgery decreased surgical morbidity for endometrial cancer, and and for the manuscript by Multin, also published in 2018, to study the complication for benign hysterectomy following the FDA statement against the use of uh, power marsillation.
0: Great. Um, What were your inclusion and exclusion criteria for this study?
1: So we included all patients with invasive cervical cancer who underwent open abdominal hysterectomy or minimal invasive hysterectomy in the study period, meaning the period from January 2016 to December uh, 2017 that was defined as pre-lack period, and the period from January 2019 to December 2020 that was defined as the post-lack period. The data regarding 2018 were excluded to allow the dissemination of the LAC trial results. And then we excluded all patients who underwent vaginal hysterectomy, patients who underwent major procedure performed concurrently to the hysterectomy but not related to cervical cancer as this procedure could have impacted the 30-day postoperative complication rate. And in addition, we excluded patients aged less than 18 years, patient with ASA class of five, and patient with preoperative systemic inflammatory response syndrome, sepsis, uh, or septic shock.
0: Great. Right. And um, you had a specific uh, categorization, uh, and I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that as it pertained to the complications. Um, particularly as major and minor complications?
1: Yeah, we discussed this a lot with our statistician team. So due to the low incidence of the majority of each complication and according to previous literature, we have decided to create two composite outcomes, major and minor complication. Among the major complication, we include unplanned intubation, wound disruption, ventilator support for more than 48 hours, sepsis or septic shock, pneumonia, deep incisional surgical site infection, progressive renal insufficiency, pulmonary embolies, myocardial infarction, cardiac arrest, stroke or cerebrovascular accident, and lastly, deep venous thrombosis or thrombophlebitis. And among the minor complication, we included urinary infection and superficial site infection. In addition, we evaluated the rate of unplanned hospital readmission and the intra- and post-operative transfusion rate as a separate outcome. The unplanned hospital readmission were considered separately, and this was evaluated as a time-to-event outcome, so it has to be analyzed alone. While the intra- and post-operative transfusion were considered as a separate outcome due to the high frequency. However, it has to be highlighted that we have also assessed the change in each complication separately.
0: Great. So now, Gabriela, um, getting on to the results, over 3,000 patients, uh, what are some of the main highlights you like our audience to take away from this study?
1: Okay, so among the 3,024 patients included, the minimally invasive approach decreased from 75.6% in the pre-lac period to 41.1% in the post-lac period, whereas open approach increased significantly from 24.4% to 58.9%. The major and minor complications remained stable across the LAC trial publication, and similarly, the readmission rate was stable. In contrast, the intra or postoperative transfusion rate increased significantly from 3.8% in the pre-lack period to 6.7% in the post-lac period. Considering each complication included in the composite outcome separately, the only one that increased following the publication of the LAC trial was the superficial site infection, increasing from 0.8% to 2.5%, while a reduction was observed in the deep venous thrombosis that decreased from 07 to 0.1%.
0: Excellent. So now let's get into a little bit of um, discussion about some of these results and I'll start by asking a little bit more about the trends in the surgical approach when performing hysterectomy for cervical cancer. And I think although there's uh, you know certainly a significant increase in open surgeries, there's still some uh, who are performing minimally invasive surgery for uh, cervical cancer, and granted, the study only covered all the way up to 2020, Um, but why, why do you think that is the case?
1: Yeah, so I agree uh, with you that the rate of minimal invasive surgery is still quite high, and I would have expected a lower rate, also considering that the rate in Europe is lower, at least according to the analysis made by Bugani. And as you said, this could be related to the fact that this analysis ended at December 2020, and that this could reflect the initial skepticism with the results of the LAC trial. And for sure, I would be very interested in knowing the data updated to December 2023. And lastly, uh, the current analysis included patients with invasive cervical cancer, Figo stage 1a, as we are not able to have information about the tumor characteristic. So uh, these these, uh, could have influenced the high proportion of minimal invasive surgery in the population.
0: Yeah, it actually brings me to the to the next question. And and I think that's an excellent point in that oftentimes, you know, we're often limited by the information that the database offers. Um, this is a question that came up in some of the discussions we we're having about this manuscript. It um, said, interestingly, 80% of cases did not have a concurrent lymph node procedure, uh, both in the pre and the post-LAC era. Uh, does this mean that most of the cases in the study were stage 1A1 cases?
1: So, yeah, uh, I don't think so because, okay, for sure, I just mentioned the analysis included patient with invasive cervical cancer, figo stage 1A1. However, considering that figo stage 1A represent around 30% of invasive cervical cancer and that in case of figo stage 1A1 cervical cancer, hysterectomy is recommended only in presence of lymphovascular space invasion, we expect this limitation could have just partially impacted the low rate of lymphadenectomy. Indeed, we assumed that such a low rate in the lymphadenectomy could be related to a miscoding in the associated procedure within the National Surgical Quality Improvement Programme database. And this was similarly reported in a previous study that we have already cited from Kazarin um, on endometrial cancer. And We expect, in addition, we expect uh, this being underreported in a comparable way in the pre and post-lac period and so not impacted our result.
0: Very well. Um, One of the other questions that came up was whether you had um, found any difference between uh, robotics and laparoscopy.
1: So uh, we haven't stratified by robotic or laparoscopic uh, approach, as the current procedural terminology codes does not allow to make this difference. But for sure, to assess this stratification would be of great relevance, especially when the results of the ongoing trial comparing robotic surgery to open abdominal surgery for invasive cancer will be available.
0: Yeah. Now, um, Gabrielle, you mentioned initially that there have been uh, a few studies. I think you mentioned four studies, uh, three from the United States, one from Italy. Um, per, you know, addressing this topic of the trends in in the approach to um, to surgery in early cervical cancer, um, what is different uh, from this study and those studies?
1: Yeah, so uh, as mentioned, several studies evaluated the effect on the LAC trial and surgical approach, and just few studied um, the analysis on complication rates of, it, of hysterectomy. So all the study consistently underlined a reduction in the use of minimally invasive approach after the presentation of the LAC trial. However, the extent of this reduction varies largely between the study. And We assume that this was likely related to the different cohorts and period considered. In particular, Matsuo using the National Impatient Sample Database and Charo using the VITSEN database have examined as post-luck period the first 9 and 12 months after the presentation of the trial results and only the 2 and 5 months after the trial publication. So this may have only partially captured the change in the surgical approach after the LAC trial. And in addition, the Italian study conducted by Bogani focused on a specific population as was a multicentric retrospective study that included only an Italian population in contrast to the other studies that use a national database from the U.S., and just briefly, regarding the complication rates, some differ- difference need to be underlined. As mentioned, only the study by Matsu and Bogani assessed the variation in surgical complication. And in accordance with our result, Bogani showed that 90-day overall complication rates did not significantly differ between the pre- and post lac period. However, the overall rate uh, of the complication was higher than in our population. But for sure, they have considered a period of 90 days following the surgery, while we have considered just 30 days following the surgery. And uh, in contrast to our result, Matsuo observed an increase in the overall perioperative complication um, from 29% in the pre lag period to 38% during the post lag period. Possible explanation for such a big difference are the following. First, the post-LAC period considered in the study by Matsu include only a few months uh, uh, following the LAC trial publication, which might not have reflect the effect of the trial. And then the National Inpatient Sample Database contains only complication evident on the claim of surgical inpatient care, while our study included both inpatient and outpatient uh, mm, uh, surgeries. And lastly, Matsu include a larger number of type of complication, which also could explain the overall higher proportion of complication in their study than in our
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you have uh, explained that very, very well, because obviously a lot of times it depends on the um, analysis that is being done as pertains to that complication, the complications that are included, the length of time. So really very, very important. One of the things that that caught my attention uh, was the issue of um, venous thromboembolisms. Um, Why do you think there were less um, venous thromboembolism in the post-LAC era?
1: Okay, so as, as stated, the rate of major and minor complication considered as composite outcome remains stable. However, we observed a few different when the complication were considered separately. In particular, as you were saying, we observed a decrease in the rate of deep venous thrombosis from 0.7 to 0.1 from the pre to the post lac period. And at first, we were surprised by this result. But we have to highlight that during the study period, there was an important implementation of the ERAS programs in many institutions. And as we know from previous studies, this could have reduced the rate of deep venous thrombosis.
0: Yeah, and uh, um, you know, certainly, I think that as we look at the data, um, we tend to see more 30-day major or minor complications for open surgery compared to minimally invasive surgery. Um, There are many who would ask, well, how do we um, change that and how do we decrease the rate of complications in the open setting?
1: Okay, yeah, I just want to underline something. Is it true that we um, we observed that, that both major and minor complication were higher in open surgery compared to minimal invasive surgery? But I want to highlight that this difference in our study was true only in the pre-lack period, while in the post-lack period, there was no this difference. And for major complication suggesting that there is a tendency to the reduction of major postoperative complication and i believe that to foster this reduction different tra- strategy could have a, could be adopted firstly it is crucial to keep implementing the eras protocol optimizing pain management reducing time to ambulation promoting nutrition early nutrition then considering the stringent criteria for surgical, ser- surgery in cervical cancer, it is crucial to implement imaging technique to be sure that we limit surgery to the cases in which it is actually recommended.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in addition, I believe that cervical cancer surgery should be performing in specialized institution where gynecologists should have undergone specific surgical training. And Lastly, I wonder which will be the future of surgery in the treatment of cervical cancer, considering the improvement of medical treatment, the increasingly early diagnosis, and the introduction the introduction of the sentinel lymph node biopsy that is leading to a less invasive surgery.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely excellent points. And I should also highlight that from the uh, complications uh, evaluation of the LAC trial, uh, there were no differences in in global uh, complication rates between open and, and minimally invasive. So I I agree with you. Um, you know certainly yes a, exactly a, an ever changing field uh, in uh, surgery for early cervical cancer. Um, now you mentioned earlier this data analysis extended to 2020. We're now in actually 2024. Um, do you think the results might be different if the analysis extended to the current time period?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, at the time of the analysis, the national search quality improvement program database was available up to 2020. And as we already mentioned, it would be very interesting uh, to know how the data changed. But um, I anticipate the increasing difference that we observe, but is not significant in minor complication between the pre lac and post-lack period becoming significant, uh, as these include the surgical site infection. And uh, so it's it's a complication that is uh, highly related to surgery. While I'm not sure that we will observe an increase in major complication rate due to the reduction in major complication observing the open approach as we have just mentioned, but of course these are just speculation and I hope we will have the opportunity to update the data.
0: Great and uh, just a few more questions. Gabriela, I wanted to ask you what do you see as the potential Uh, strengths and and limitations of this particular study?
1: Okay, starting from the strengths that is always useful, (laughs) I think that uh, the main strengths are that uh, there is a large cohort of patients included uh, and is based from a multi-center database that could make the result generalizable to the overall U.S. population, the fact that uh, this database uh, is made with regular auditing and training on the data abstraction and ensuring the reliability of the data collected from the different institutions. And lastly, the inclusion of both inpatient and outpatient surgical procedure. I think that we have already mentioned the limitation, but I will go through all those identified briefly. Uh, So the first one is that the database does not include data on tumor characteristic, adjuvant therapy and follow-up. And so we were not able to stratify the results according to the tumor characteristic and to assess the oncologic outcome by surgical procedure. As already mentioned, the rate of lymphadenectomy observed was lower than expected. And lastly, the results are, again, are limited to December 2020.
0: Yeah. So one last question, Gabriela. as you know, uh, we always ask, uh, given the results of the study, what would you consider should be the practice moving forward?
1: Okay, Uh, this is the last question, but it's a tough question, I think. So I believe that the practice, even before this study, should have followed what is the standard of care suggested in the guidelines, that is performing cervical cancer surgery with an open abdominal approach. And our results add some knowledge to the current literature, of further supporting the use of open abdominal surgery as the standard of care in the treatment of invasive cervical cancer due to the lack of rising in thirty-day measure and minor complication.
0: Well, Gabriela, thank you so so much. Uh, you know, certainly having collaborated with you on this, I know what a daunting task this was, and, and you did an amazing job. Um, and again, congratulations to the rest of the authors and the team that, that also worked on this uh, project. And as always, thank you so much for accepting our invitation.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for the support in, in this project and for the invitation.